Well, good morning. We're so glad you're joining us this morning. Welcome to everybody out there, especially welcome to anybody uh, visiting us online this morning. We're so glad you're with us. Uh, would you please pray with me before we dive into God's Word? Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for a new day. And Lord, we ask that you go before us this morning as we open up your word and, and study the truths that you have for us there. And we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would challenge us, that you would stir in our hearts anew this morning, uh, that we would seek after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God, may we become a people that are shaped after you. Uh, may we be a people who are uh, fully uh, submitted to you, trusting in you, and obeying in you in all things. So Lord, I just lift up anybody out there who might be hurting this morning, who might be uh, sick or ill. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for those uh, who are struggling this morning um, with uh, sin or with temptation. And Lord, we, we know that you're the one who can deliver us. And so we come to you uh, seeking your uh, forgiveness, knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive, to forgive us from all unrighteousness, God. And so, Lord, as we open up Romans chapter 6 this morning, uh, we thank you for the truth of the gospel um, and that, uh, Lord, we have died to sin and we can be alive in you forevermore. And so, God, uh, just, just be speaking to us this morning through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our series through the book of Romans this morning, and we are opening up to Romans chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 1 through 14. And, and I want to show you again um, our outline of our Romans series. So we should be able to get up on your screen here uh, to kind of help refresh you and uh, in, in where we are in Paul's letter to the Romans. So we see here in this, in this uh, outline that we're kind of smack dab in the middle of Paul's doctrinal teaching, his teaching on what the gospel is, what it means, and how we understand it, and how we think about it. We covered sin in chapters 1 to 3, and Paul kind of left no wiggle room for anybody uh, to kind of get out and think, you know, they're the exception, um, and, and he, he showed us uh, without any question that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and from that, comes humility. And from humility comes repentance. And from repentance comes chapters 4 to 5, salvation. And our salvation is no work of our own. It is only by faith and through faith in the finished work of Jesus in whom we are justified. And last week, Brian finished up this section uh, for us in Romans chapter 5. And we saw that Paul was contrasting Adam and Jesus, and in verse uh, 17 of chapter 5, Paul writes, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Salvation is the abundant grace of God, and it is the free gift of righteousness. And we receive that through the one man, Jesus. It is a gift. It was freely given. It is nothing we earned or deserved. It was the grace and the love of God that was poured out for us. That we can be counted righteous. We can be justified through the one and by the one. 
Justification is a, is a legal term, meaning we're made right before God. And Paul has spent chapters 4 and chapter 5 describing it. And in chapter 5, we see the results of justification, that we are now at peace with God. And not only that, we have access to God. For when God sees us, he no longer uh, sees us living in sin and in rebellion against him. He instead sees the righteousness of Jesus that has covered us, that's been given to us. That is the power of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. And so God is with us. He is for us. He is our ever-present help. He has given us his spirit, and he is our hope. And now as we open up to Romans chapter 6, uh, we are beginning a new section of the doctrine. It is the doctrine of sanctification. And, and you'll see that on that outline. Uh, the process of refinement is that process of becoming more and more like Christ. That's that sanctification process that's happening. And Paul is going to spend three chapters on it. Because yes, as Paul says, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, but that Savior has come. He has come, and we have been set free. So what once defined us no longer does. So Paul starts chapter 6 by describing two things. First, what is called regeneration or new birth, and then that leads into sanctification. And so here to begin in chapter 6, Paul is continuing a thought from chapter 5 where he left off saying in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, he said, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he begins chapter 6 with a question. Uh, Romans 6.1, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He asks this question because of how radical the free gift of God's righteousness is. It is a received righteousness. It is not earned by us. It was earned by the one man, Jesus Christ. So our moral efforts cannot contribute one iota to our salvation. It is all God. It, it is all a gift. And this message was and still is today utterly unique in the world and in uh, all religions and in all philosophies. This is utterly unique. And it is so radical that people inevitably will ask the question, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And I'm sure Paul heard that before. If our good deeds earn you know, nothing towards our salvation, then why make the sacrifice? You know, why not continue in our sin, in our selfishness? Why not do it my way all the time? And then also, you know, should we not continue in sin to show the abundant grace of God? Are we doing God this favor? So Paul says in verse 2, he says, by no means. <laughs> by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can a seed that's fallen to the ground, died, and sprouted into a new creation still be a seed? It's been set free from the seed. That old seed carcass died, and new life was born. And, and, and some seeds you know, become sugar pines, some become Douglas firs, some redwoods, some become giant sequoias. 
And, and could, could you imagine a giant sequoia going back to live in its seed carcass? Like, what in the world? It, it, that's not even conceivable, okay? Have you seen a giant sequoia seed? They're like tiny, man. There's no, it's impossible. There's no way. That, that, and, and consider that this majestic tree would, would choose to go back to this old dead shell. Man, this beautiful tree that's got this whole new view of the world. It's part of this whole ecosystem of the forest. How would it, it's it's inconceivable to think they'd go back to this seed. Redwoods are pretty cool trees. They have a network of roots that join together and they share resources with one another to support one another, to help prevent anyone from falling or being malnourished. They'll, They'll They'll share resources with one another to, to provide nourishment for each other. And, and what redwood would choose to abandon that, to go back to the seed? Because that calling, the new life that's been given to us is so, so good. Who would go back to that dead, dried up seed? It's inconceivable. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? But some might ask, you know, what do you mean, Paul, that we died to sin? Well, he goes on, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You were baptized into his death. And remember, baptism is, is this outward invisible sign of an inward spiritual reality. The word baptize means to immerse or submerge, to, to make whelmed, to be fully wet. And this is so cool because remember the words of John the Baptist in, in Matthew 3.11. Uh, John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Remember on the day of Pentecost in Acts uh, 2, how, how the Holy Spirit descended on the people as tongues of fire. And people were immersed. They were baptized in the Spirit. Just as the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism, so too the Spirit has been given to us. So it is a baptism of water and of the Spirit. And the baptism of the Spirit is the moment of conversion. It is the, uh, the internal transformation. It's, it's, it's a personal thing between you and God, this inward spiritual transformation. But it's also meant to be shared. And there should be signs, you know, there should be gifts and there should be fruits of the Spirit that are displayed because of this. Where once you loved your sin, now you begin to hate sin and love Jesus. Water baptism is, is simply, it's an external and it's a public confession of belonging to Jesus. And we're doing baptisms actually today at 2 p.m. And if you've never been baptized and you desire it, man, come out. Come out. There's the details on it on our website. The address is there. I encourage you to come out. And we, when we do baptisms, uh, when possible, we fully immerse people in water as a declaration that they've been immersed into Christ, having been baptized into his death. And Paul goes on in verse four, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's, that's worth meditating on, I think. What does it mean for you to be buried with him by baptism into death? We were buried with him 
and died there with him. So too we've been raised to new life with him. Death was necessary for the resurrection. The old man had to die so the new could come. We come to Jesus as those who have died to this life, died to the old self, uh, and we come in repentance, and we come in humility. Jesus says of this in John chapter 12, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So it doesn't produce anything. It remains cocooned by itself, you know, you know, hanging on to the only thing it knows. But Jesus says, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. If it finally surrenders itself to the earth and allows itself to die and for God to bring new life, the new growth that will happen, it will bear much fruit and it will no longer be alone. It will join the ranks of the good grain who bear much good fruit. And Jesus goes on and he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And we can also go to Mark chapter 8 and see another way that Jesus describes this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow him. Following him all the way up to Golgotha to die. For whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Because unless that grain of wheat dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. How? Why? Because of the little thing that happened on the third day. Jesus rose Again, the resurrection happened and it changed everything. Paul continues on in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. He says, For if, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, to the 12, the 12 disciples, the words of Jesus were probably very confusing. Sometimes you know, they seemed like riddles almost. But post-resurrection, everything kind of clicked into, into place and they saw in the flesh the risen Lord and they knew that though we die, yet shall we live for we serve the living one. And Paul in Romans, is, he's putting words to the reality and the result of the resurrection of Jesus. He is drawing on all the teachings of Scripture and all that Christ accomplished. And he is saying, this is the way. This is the truth. This is the way for true life. But it begins with the cross. Yes, it ends at the resurrection, but it begins at the cross. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
Remember Romans 5. Sin no longer reigns in us. It no longer holds power over us because the old self was crucified with Jesus. And on the cross, he put sin to death. It's done. It no longer enslaves you. It no longer reigns over you and presses you down. No, when your old self was crucified with Jesus, you were liberated. Paul goes on, verse 7. He says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Why do you think the kingdom of God was announced with the proclamation to repent? For the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, friend of sinners, did not come to make friends with sin. He came to put it to death to set free the sinners he so loved. But no one is set free who does not die to sin, to the old self. And who is this most difficult for? It is most difficult for those who have much to lose for those whose livelihoods perhaps depend upon their sin, for those who love their sin more than God, for those whose whole identity is wrapped up in their sin, for those who could lose family, friendships, and reputation. But Jesus says, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is not an easy teaching. Dying to self. This is not a popular teaching. What's popular to teach is is self-help. Find your true self and celebrate yourself. Not die to self. But Jesus says the only way is to die to self. And our only help is from above. So die to the old man and get help from him and not just help, a totally new life, a new and eternal life. Jesus came not so that we just believe the right things. He didn't just come so that you'd be doctrinally pure. He came to bring new life and he came with power. He came with healing and he's given us his spirit so we too can experience the power of God, the glory of God, the healing of God, the new life that God has for us. He came to restore the relationship between us and himself. He's given us his spirit. I don't know if you've noticed, maybe it's always been this way, but there seems to be two camps in the church right now. Uh, One says you need to believe the right doctrine. And the other camp says, you know, that God is experiential and and you need to just experience him. And both of these camps, you know, will say that the other one limits it. So so the doctrine people become anti-experience and the experienced people become anti-doctrine. These are false dichotomies. Paul here is simultaneously laying out Christian doctrine while promising the experiential nature of the gospel, of being set free, of receiving new life. It's Jesus-centered. The more seriously we take the scriptures, the more seriously we take doctrine, and the more we expect to experience the reality of the gospel in our lives. It is a lived faith. So we love theology because of where it leads. It leads to abundant life in Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm not content to say Abraham met with God. Moses met with God. You know, Paul met with God. I want to meet with God. And God wants to meet with you too. God is not just to be believed about. He is to be known 
intimately. Justification, regeneration, and sanctification are not just words that are going to be on your test later today. No, they're doctrinal truths that lead you into an extraordinary experience with God. Because as Paul goes on in verse 8, he says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is regeneration. And regeneration means spiritual rebirth. It is an instantaneous work of the Spirit. You may not be able to point to the exact moment of it in your life, but the reality is that there was a moment when you were conceived in the womb. Likewise, there was a moment when our spirit was made alive in Christ. Jesus says of this, you must be born again. In John uh, chapter 3, uh, we, we read about this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I've said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life." You must be born again. It is, a, it is, is dramatic. It's, it's going from death to life. And so we must, as Paul says, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is born anew. It's being born anew by the Spirit. So finishing up our passage here this morning, Paul goes on in Romans 6 and it says in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. It can't reign anymore because it's dead. It's buried as you shared in Christ's death. Verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Under grace. Paul's like, remember justification. 
and the free gift of Christ's righteousness. You are under grace. Sin has lost its grip. It has no power. Its dominion is broken, for we have transitioned from being under the law and its condemnation to now being under grace. We live under grace. We live in that freedom. So, so live like this is true. Don't, don't allow the weight of your sin to hold you captive and enslaved. You've been set free from that dominion. And our only proper response is immense gratitude to God. That's why we sing. And that's why we worship. That's why we pray and we lift up our thanksgivings and our praises and our gratitude to God, to glorify his name. You are free. And you're no longer that old seed. But you have died. You've died and you're now new. That's, that's regeneration. And you're growing in that newness. That's sanctification. Becoming a fruitful and maturing follower of Jesus. You are free from the constraints and that, the restraints of that old shell, that old self the sin that enslaved you, and you are now free to live in Christ, to present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. It is a total shift of transitioning from being in hostility to God to now bringing everything, every part of you, into obedience to God through Christ. And this begins that sanctification process. And there is no better representation of this than baptism. Water baptism isn't the moment that this happens, but it is a physical representation and, and a public demonstration of the reality that we have been brought from death to life in Jesus. So now his death is our death. His resurrection and his resurrected life is now our resurrected life. So you share with him in all things. So water baptism it doesn't save us. Remember, Paul just spent two chapters, chapters four and five, telling us that we're not saved by our works. It is by faith alone in Christ alone, and it's a free gift. But we, in obedience, as we've transitioned from under the dominion of sin to the dominion of Christ and his grace, we seek to walk in his footsteps, to be fully immersed in him, to share with him in death and resurrection, and to make a public declaration of that inward transformation. And it is the pattern we see throughout the New Testament, from uh, John the Baptist to Jesus, to the apostles, and finally to the Gentiles, where in Acts chapter 10, Peter, in obedience to God, Peter preached to Cornelius the Gentile. And he preached to his entire Gentile family. And we read that in Acts chapter 10, that while Peter was still saying these things, so while Peter was still preaching to Cornelius and his whole household, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Know that today is the day of salvation. It's available to all. It is a free gift. It is the gift of God's grace. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living 
and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of the sins they've committed through his name. For his love was poured out for you on the cross, where he bore the sins of many unto death, ransoming us from the dominion of sin. And on the third day, he rose again, demonstrating powerfully that he is the Son of God and that he is the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Believe on Jesus. And if you're listening and, and you're local uh, today, man, I encourage you, come out to baptisms at 2 p.m. And if God's impressing it upon your heart, the Holy Spirit is, is, is quickening your heart this morning, man, I encourage you, take that step of faith. Take that step of faith. Believe on Jesus. Come out and be baptized today as a proclamation that Jesus has made you new. That you're going to share in his death and also you're going to share in his resurrection. You're going to experience a new life he has for you today. So don't wait till tomorrow. Right? We know tomorrow's not guaranteed, man. Today's the day. Today's the day. So I encourage you to take that step today. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord for the free gift of grace, the free gift of Christ's righteousness that we can receive by putting our faith in you, by believing on you, that you came, you died, you rose again, Lord. We thank you for the hope we have in you, that unshakable hope we have. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's your down payment. That, that, that's the, the guarantee and that we can know that we are your children. We can experience you now, today, in our lives. You're making us new, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, would you go before us this week? Would you continue to work a work in our hearts? Would you continue to make us more into your image? Continue that sanctification process all the way until we die, Lord, or until you come. Lord, we pray that you come first, but who knows, Lord, we trust in you. Uh, so, God, would you just be with each one listening this morning? Um, would you just uh, witness to them, minister to them, uh, bring them your, your grace and your healing? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.